Dan, can you say Elliot is a terrible uh, Olympic level rower? <laughs> <laughs> I see the recording button now, but uh, you know, uh, oh, I'm probably coming up as talking as Christy Murphy. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, you're not. Look, I'm almost done law school. Um, you're technically not liable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Your wife is, but a husband and wife can't be charged for the same crime. That's right. I'd sue her anyway. <laughs> so what's going on? Everything good? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm just gonna message him and see uh, see what the deal is. If he's oh, no, gonna okay. be any longer than a couple minutes, I'll just start. But oh, yeah, okay. yeah. No, it's okay. yeah. We're all good. We're all good. No stress. <laughs> no, I know. I'm not. Uh, it's only. It's only five after, but. Yeah. I don't want to take up uh, too much of your time, especially this close to Halloween. Or, um, Believe what? me, I'd be watching The Masked Singer right now. So ah, you're, okay, you're, fair. <laughs> doing you a favor or what? Yes, totally. It's the first ever uh, three-hour version of Roxy Fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're 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 uh, gravely mistaken if you think yeah. you've got three hours. But no. Um, you guys think, like, and I guess for everybody, but do you think now the amount of time that players from around the league have had to spend in Edmonton. How, how much do you think that tanks Edmonton's chances of like free agency signings? Like, like they all now know what Edmonton's like. And like, I'm sure a fair, <laughs> like, look, I'm not saying either way, but the only team that left the bubble was the Knights to go play golf. So nobody else saw anything. Fair. Right? Uh, they were in the, they were in the yard. They called it the yard. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that little basketball court. The, it didn't look so fun. Well, the one time we were, we were shooting above it somewhere and uh, I saw the media relations guy, Ben Brown, and I phoned him. I was like, if I was a sniper, I could kill you right now. He goes, Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I've, I've no, I know what I'm using for the lead into the episode now. <laughs> Speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I am your host, Jax McDonald. With me, as always, it's Vyasteran and Elliot Hoyt. Uh, our next guest needs no introduction. You know him as the host of the broadcast, uh, the Canucks broadcast on Sportsnet. It's your friend and mine, Dan Murphy. Dan, how's it going? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Very good. Very good. Very okay. happy to have you on. It's uh, It's been uh, a long time coming, I think. I've I My Mount Rushmore of guests is uh yourself uh patrick johnson thomas trance and abraham lincoln and abraham yeah no well the uh, sadly actually my my the other person on my mount rushmore was jason botchford but unfortunately that uh never came to pass but um dan the first thing i want to ask you is uh obviously it's uh it's beginning of october uh, or end of October, rather, we would normally be in the throes of the NHL season right now. What are you uh, doing to keep yourself occupied uh, while we while we wait for more news on that front? Well, like now it's going to be a little bit slow. I mean, when the playoffs finished, you had the draft, you had free agency, and that you know goes on for a week or so. So there's always stuff to talk about. 
but now it's it's slim pickings. Um, you know, it, just trying to generate content at this time of year is difficult. Uh, it's the NFL uh, and really uh, nothing else. So we'll try to you know, literally beat up one or two topics a week, and uh, you know that'll be with um, you know either. Jackson's favorite, uh, McIntyre or Sat Shaw. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, so we'll just kind of try to do it that way. And I know there's a bunch of guys skating uh, in uh, Delta, some other guys. So perhaps we'll get out and bug, bug some players. Um, uh, and Pedersen is still in town. So hopefully we can do something with him. But it is like this is almost like the offseason now. Uh, yeah. I don't really know when, you know, the preseason or training camp begins. But if they do indeed try to hit a date of mid-January or early February, well, then you'd think that they would be bringing guys back somewhere uh, before Christmas, uh, especially guys overseas that are going to have to quarantine for a couple of weeks. So just kind of wait and see, uh, try to stay as busy and as we can, but there's just not a whole lot to do. Do you get the sense that they're still pretty far away from, from figuring out what the season's going to look like, or are they kind of starting to figure it out? Uh, I, I think there's probably uh, 30 different scenarios. I mean, it doesn't look like the border is going to be open anytime soon. So uh, I would think that the, the all Canadian divisions is a possibility uh, and maybe even a probability. Um, and then I don't know how it would look. With like many tournaments, you go in for a couple of weeks, you play a number of games and you get to go home and see your family and you just keep testing. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. And broadcast wise, I doubt we're traveling. So we're lucky enough in Vancouver that they have the hockey night in Punjabi set. So we can do it all remote anyway. Uh, that's here. Uh, so I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens, but, uh, you know, I hope they can get a season started sometime in January or February 1st at the earliest. And it's probably truncated, uh, truncated, but, um, yeah, they can't go a whole season without playing. So they're gonna have to figure it out. And there's going to be a lot of hurdles too, right? Like prorate salaries, the players say we're getting our, our money minus our escrow and that's it. And look, you know, look at the fight that happened in baseball. So I'm, I'm actually really interested to see how it goes, but I think there's going to be a lot of hurdles. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, like obviously, this is a this is a bummer for all of us in the in the sports media industry. But on the other hand, it has opened up some kind of like there. There's certainly a new interesting element to talk about. So I'd be, I guess, to start off, I'd be curious, like from your perspective, like what did a day inside the bubble uh, covering the Stanley Cup playoffs look like for you? You know, it was it's, it was a lot easier uh, than regular playoffs because first off there's no morning skates you go to you're not filing any content for the website or the news of the tv station because i mean you do a couple things you go you record the zoom call and you shoot a stand-up or a chat and that was basically it but my days would consist of that in the morning listening to all the zoom calls uh, i wasn't actually in the bubble but i was in the rink so sure uh, then i would go back you know literally try to stay busy somehow in the afternoon and then go back to the rink. Uh, if there's two games at the start, I'd probably go watch both just to stay busy, but head back to the rink. And then when the game was done, listen to the Zoom calls, uh, do a chat, file a store if they wanted something, if something big happened, and then rinse and repeat the next day. So, um, you know, there wasn't a ton uh, to do as compared to normal playoffs when you'd be you know constantly at the rink. Uh, um, so it was different for sure, but I'll tell you, like, what's not different in this day and age. And it was, uh, I don't want to say a relief, but it was fun to be back there covering hockey, albeit in a far different uh, uh, way than before. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, 
what did you what did you guys do to keep busy during downtime like there's there's not a lot you're in edmonton there's not necessarily a ton to do uh at the best of times let alone in the middle of a global <laughs> pandemic yeah well i mean I, play, I think i played golf four times so that took up you know some days um uh a couple guys like tom gazola who works for tsm on the radio side he took me out a few times uh tried to go for runs along the river because the weather was actually really nice when we were there didn't cold until the end um and like to be honest so like i i got an airbnb because i knew i wanted to cook a lot of my meals um <laughs> but it was like it's there's a couple times where, like it's kind of lonely yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like, like usually on the road you'd be traveling with the johns and there'd be you know you'd know people in different cities and uh but this is just kind of like <laughs> It's like the, the Travolta meme. I'd walk into the Airbnb. <laughs> I decide, I guess it's just me again. You know, and I watched a lot of bad Netflix movies. Yeah. I can't even tell you half of them. Um, but yeah, um, you know, try not to consume too much alcohol and go to bed and do it again. Oh yeah, I can relate to that. I, if you hadn't said you couldn't remember most of the Netflix movies you watched, I would ask you for the worst Netflix movie you watched. Oh, man. Um, let, let me try to think as we're doing this. I mean, there was a couple that I saw that I like, it like hold the dark, shocked the crap out of me. I, I enjoyed it for some reason. I did watch half of that and yeah. I really want to finish it, but. Well, I, I finished it and I was like, did I like that? And I, like, <laughs> I think I kind of did like that. And it's the first time a movie like that in terms of thinking that at the end, I think the other one was a history of violence when it was over. I was like, I'm not sure I liked it. And then at the yeah. end, then I thought about it. I loved it and I watched it again. But. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. That's kind of how I felt after the first time I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. It, totally. I mean, yeah. it's such a slow burn, but the end, it was worth it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. For some reason, I can't stop thinking about like, what would John Garrett be doing if he had to be in the bubble food wise? Well, that, that, that's exactly what I was thinking because I, Dan mentioned that, uh, <laughs> like you mentioned that you got an Airbnb so you could cook most of your food. What are the chances John and John would be cooking their own food if they were in the bubble? John would just move into the hot dog cart outside. I'll, I'll give Shorthouse some credit. Like he actually, yeah, you know, he can he can cook. He can do some. You know, he wouldn't he wouldn't mind having a decent meal every once in a while using utensils. Uh, <laughs> but Garrett, there's there's no chance. Let me tell you this: like Garrett texted me the other day. I think he is like weighing like twenty five pounds less than he did at this time last year. Oh no, oh, yeah, because. He doesn't bring his road game home. I don't think his wife lets him eat that way or <laughs> that many beers. So he really needs a road trip. He's wasting away. Uh, <laughs> oh no! It, 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 it wouldn't. It wouldn't change. It wouldn't change. He would have uh, it, wherever we were. He would have chicken fingers, nachos with no vegetables, just cheese. <laughs> um, he would have pizza. He would have. He doesn't like eat. He's burgers at lunch with Shorty, but. It's like I've said it multiple times. It's like traveling with like a fighter. <laughs> I feel like John would vehemently claim that like the salsa on the nachos is a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> or like the jalapenos or the green onion. Yeah. Oh, that's a no chance. He won't have those. Like, yeah. like I buy it. When he goes to Subway, which he calls a healthy lunch, he'll have um he'll have double ham, double cheese on it. He says it's gotta be on uh Italian, so it doesn't say white bread because it's healthier, obviously. Right, of course. And then right. Double and then double uh, mayo, no vegetables. That's it. 
God bless this man. <laughs> I am so I Dan, I'm so worried that the league won't start on time or else he literally might disappear. He might, <laughs> he might, he might disintegrate into dust. <laughs> I don't know how I've never told this story before, but I actually made burgers for Garrett once. Um <laughs> came into the when I was working at the Big Wheel Burger in Cook Street Village. Um my the guy I was working the guy was working with me who actually like requested that I uh, that I mentioned this on the show. Um, I like pointed him out to me. He's like, "Hey, look, it's John Garrett," and I was like, "Oh, damn!" And uh, I can attest to the fact that he does not uh, appreciate vegetables because he ordered two cheeseburgers uh, with just ketchup and mustard on them. No vegetables, uh, no no special sauce. He just wanted the ketchup and the mustard. Well, he's um, like he he's a I would say practicing Catholic, but he gives up stuff up for Lent. Sure. And, and uh, one time he gave up burgers for Lent, and that was torture for him. Uh, <laughs> he gave up. I think it was, I think it was ketchup last year. Ketchup mm. and something else, which is for him like that's a that that is a legitimate sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining in the bubble. Um, he he like puts on a disguise to sneak in to, to the Edmonton yeah. rink so he can eat rink food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, told, I think I've told this story. I can't remember where I told it before, but um, a couple Thanksgivings ago, and I'm, I don't know if it was American Thanksgiving or Canadian Thanksgiving, all blends together. But the team, I think we were in Dallas, and the team invited us to have their Thanksgiving dinner. So it's like it was an unreal setup. It had oh wow. It had everything like it had the turkey, the ham, all the sides like asparagus, Brussels sprouts, had all these different salads, all like it had everything you could think of. And so, of course, Garrett gets, <laughs> gets a few a few pieces of turkey with some ketchup on the side. I think he had to ask for the ketchup. Oh. And then uh, so we sat there, had a few beers and we didn't want to overstay our welcome. And so we, so we thanked them and left. And then we had to go to this dive bar called Christine so he could order burgers. <laughs> so he, he didn't have this great meal he's like I can't this. we gotta go somewhere else right, you know, i guess we're going somewhere else wow ring of what's, honor <laughs> what's the uh what's the most heinous thing you've seen him put ketchup on i think it's pizza for me although like not yeah. in, in, in ketchup but i think it's I think it's pizza when he, we go to like, actually you take him to a good Italian place in New York city where we can get something we want and have good pizza, thin crust. And, um, and, but he'll, he'll, will dip his pepperoni pizza in ketchup. Wow. That's, that is honestly pretty heinous. I don't think I, I didn't could. think that's I would, unsettling. Yeah. I didn't think I would wince at that. Like, but I am. Well, and his excuse is that he grew up in a family of like seven or something. So they couldn't afford the good uh, meats and stuff. So they had to put ketchup mm-hmm. on everything to make it taste good. At least All right. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can see that, I guess. I, it's still a little sus, but I can, <laughs> I can understand. Yeah, that makes sense. Coming from. Yeah. We've, we've hit on the official. There've basically been like three genres of questions that yeah. our listeners want us, wanted us to ask you. And I would say by far the theme that comes up the most is just like, what are John and John doing when they eat on the road, particularly Garrett? Yeah, well, um, it's it's not pretty. But like I said, I shouldn't I shouldn't put Choi directly in with Cheech. Fair, because uh, he will if like if Cheech suddenly had something to do, like Shorthouse would say, "Let's go to a good Italian place," or do you want to get a steak? All right, yeah, right, that's yeah. that's fair. He's he's more of a tourist, whereas uh, whereas Garrett lives there, I guess. Just, just follow it up, and I think I've told this somewhere else before, but this is what I'm dealing with. And this is a short story. We're in Chicago, like a great city, unbelievable restaurants, 
bars, pubs, even good places for whatever kind of food. Um, and so they say, I had to do a phone call or I had to do a podcast or something. So I said, okay, we're meeting downstairs at, at 5.15 and we're going to TGIFs. <laughs> and I was like, guys, absolutely not. I don't need to put my foot down, but we are not in Chicago going to TGIFs. Like I am not accepting that. And so I got a text back from Trey, like fine, with like a mad. <laughs> and then a minute later, we'll meet you halfway. See you at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was their compromise. That's amazing. You have, you have no leverage at all. No, no. It's been, it's been like 20 years. Come on. I know, I know. Oh, well. You need. To, I feel like you need to find a way to look older. Maybe I'll listen to you then. <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask, when did you start with uh, the Vancouver broadcast team? Uh, so that was. So I did the Grizzlies for uh, a season, and then so basically when uh, Bell had to sell Sportsnet, right? They owned both, and but it was a conflict of interest. They owned TSN, so they Bell had to sell Sportsnet, and they sold it obviously to Rogers, um, and so uh, it was. Uh, Perry Solkowski was the host, but he was a, a Bell employee, so he couldn't leave oh. to take 40 games a year, whatever VTV was doing at that time. VTV, so I, oh my gosh. Yeah, right? <laughs> so um, I got hired, or so I, I got moved off the Grizzlies and moved on to the Canucks broadcast. That was 2001, 2002. Wow. Season. So that was the year that it went to Detroit. I lost yeah. to Detroit, but that was my first uh, season with the broadcast. What was it like covering the Grizzlies in their final? That was their final year, right? Uh, yeah, we had a listener that wanted wanted to know about that. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't travel with them. I only hosted the home games. I think it was still uh, Normal Wick was traveling. Um, but it was it was different. Like I was a way bigger basketball fan growing up, like in high school and, and university. I loved basketball like more than hockey. So it was unreal i really enjoyed it um it was far different um you know i was new in the business and i didn't you know, it was tougher to break in relationships with the athletes because i didn't travel where they mm -hmm. see you more but um i tell you with the grizzlies losing or leaving that uh, soured me on basketball a little bit at least the nba um i still love it i have a good buddy that works for the dallas mavericks so i kind of cheer for them now but the grizzlies was fun merely because I loved basketball, you know, and when you had a chance to see, like I said, Jordan interviewed Jordan when I worked for sports page, wow. uh, that kind of stuff. So I, I loved it. But when they left in the manner that they left, yeah, uh, it kind of soured me a little bit. And I, and I don't, I'm not going to say I don't watch it now because of it, because it's because I don't have as much time, but I don't <laughs> yeah. need time to watch it. Like I used to. Yeah. 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 Do you think they could, do you think the city could support an NBA team now? Do you think enough has changed? I do, but it would have to be, well, I think first off that for a team to come here, what is it? 2 billion, the franchise are going for now. So whoever, if someone actually had to do it, they'd have to own uh, the building too. Right. So it's either the Aquilini's or the Aquilini sell. And cause you couldn't have just be a tenant. Uh, mm -hmm. but I do. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Pacific rim, I mean, it's huge with the Asian population. Yep. Um, I really do. And, and like the Grizzlies get a bad rap. They lost for what, six, seven consecutive years straight. And they had, no chance to cheer. They didn't get a first overall pick because they were hamstrung by the league. And the time they got to pick second, the player didn't want to play here. Like, um, made a bunch of bad decisions. So, like, they were pretty well, um, you know, they had pretty good attendance there for the first four or five seasons. But when you're losing 50 games a year, yeah. I mean, it's tough for people to keep coming back, especially with some of the bonehead decisions they made. And, you know, mm -hmm. Jackson was mm -hmm. terrible. 
So I, I really do. I think the city can. But the city, as we all know, um, it can you know delve into apathy pretty quick with their sports teams if mm-hmm. they're going well. So, but I absolutely do think that, uh, especially you saw with the Raptors, like that was pretty big here in Vancouver. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. People were into it, so I think that tells you that I think it could it could happen. Yeah, somebody had mentioned in the question one that uh, that was their best season that you covered: twenty three wins, fifty nine losses. Um, <laughs> I. I don't know if I want to platform the question but because I don't understand it, but they said specifically they want to know about Mahmoud Abdul Raul Rauf's return to the NBA for 41 games. <laughs> well, he, he, Mahmoud, uh, formerly known as Chris Jackson, he was the first guy that wouldn't stand for the anthem. You guys know that? Oh, wow. Uh, no, I don't no. know. He's yeah. my fucking favorite high school player. Eat <laughs> yeah, your fucking heart out, J.D. Burke. <laughs> yeah. way, way back. He's a really interesting story, too. Um, Tourette syndrome and... Uh, that's how he got good at basketball because nothing felt right. And like he would, nothing would feel right with the shot until it felt perfect. Wow. Really interesting wow. story. Um, but, and funny enough, I called one half of NBA basketball play by play. And it was with Mac mood and uh, Jay Triano was the color guy. And so Tom Glasgow was our play by play guys from Seattle. Uh, just another crazy thing. Like why were they hiring people from down south? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I did my halftime up and somewhere in the stands and, uh, the producer gets in my ear, Randy Stevens, uh, who's a producer who's now an executive with Fox Sports South. Anyway, um, he goes, how fast can you make a course out? I said, I don't know, like a minute. He goes, we're back on the air in 30 seconds. You're doing play-by-play Glasgow. <laughs> Boy. And wow. I'm like, great. So um, I hustle down there and I'm going to swear here for you because the story's better. It's good. Um, I sit down and Jay Triana, who's like one of the best guys anywhere. So funny. And that's why I wasn't really nervous because I knew that he would carry me no matter what. And so I sit down, I get Glasgow's notes there in front of me. I put the headset on and get like a seven count and I'm, I'm nervous, right? I'm like, oh, I'm calling half basketball here and I didn't prepare for it. And uh, Triana looks over at me and like shakes his head, like take off the headset. I take it off. He goes, don't fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Jay. Did you? <laughs> Uh, no, no, it was actually pretty good. The, the, the Grizzlies uh, lost, uh, but they had a shot at the end to win. So I don't think I messed it up. Like I said, I was a, a massive basketball fan. I did some play-by-play basketball in high school and stuff. So um, I don't think I was terrible. And let's be honest, nobody was watching anyway. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah you, <laughs> you've never had to do the same thing for hockey, have you? Like jump in if uh, John's choking on something? thought I was going to have to. Oh, uh, Shorthouse went to the Super Bowl in New York when the Seahawks won and got snowed in. Oh. So they were wondering how, what to do. Anyway, they, uh, Kenward was there. He was working with the team at that time. So Ken right, right, right. went in and did it. But they were contemplating different uh, options because Shorty, Shorty got snowed in. <laughs> <laughs> while, we're, uh, while we're talking about the uh, broadcast here, I actually, I always meant to ask you, how did Keith Olbermann how did that end up happening? Because I remember that was like, uh, just as somebody who has been, who was, you know, like watching CNN, like a lanyard nerd that I was and when I was 14 or whatever, I was like Keith Olbermann. I was like, what is this guy doing on the podcast? It was a big surprise. Yeah. I, I think he, he went on uh, with McLean, uh, some point not too long ago when, uh, leading up to the return to play. And he talked about it, yeah. but, um him and shorty have well first off 
he became a Canucks fan because when he was working um, at ESPN or even uh, in his early days at ESPN, he would watch the late hockey game. And so uh, he kind of fell in love. That was the team he watched and he liked the Canucks. So he always kept a close eye on them. And then Shorty and him, he contacted Shorty or something. I can't remember how. And they just became kind of buddies. So whenever we go to New York, we'll see Oberman or Shorthouse and Garrett will go have coffee with Oberman. And so we said, you want to come on the broadcast? Understanding at that time, it could have been a little divisive, but mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, he said, absolutely. I wanted to come on. So it was cool. I mean, he's a super nice guy. Um, and he's got a great, uh, actually, knowledge of, of the game. Good sense of humor too. The I, uh, one East Coast broadcaster who stayed up to watch Canucks games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> could learn a few things. And he and he and he just absolutely like thinks Shorty is the best, right? I mean, I don't remember if you remember if you ever seen him like tweeting at Scott Moore, our big boss, like you're an idiot. What oh you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Shorthouse was like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was. Ever, Never get a hockey night game here or what? <laughs> it's like, it's just so cool. Like, you know, the, the psychology we have as Vancouver sports fans, we think everybody's out to get us. And like, we're way out here lonely on the West side. Like, it's just so cool to see somebody rooting for you who's kind of in the center yeah. of things. So, yeah. well, yeah, but I also definitely remember him like putting out that hit on uh, Tom Sestito. I was going to say, Tom yeah. Sestito, <laughs> yeah. Jordan Nolan fight. It was I believe like, so. Yeah, you know, had I think twenty-seven minutes in penalties in two seconds of ice time. Yeah, that's gonna be. <laughs> we do. Uh, we do a thing for the Patreon where we we call them Canadian Heritage Minutes, but they're all just based on little sort of minor notes from Canucks history, and we're definitely gonna have to do that. Oh, one. We yeah. turn it into like a full hour now. Absolutely <laughs> legendary. I actually talked to Tom this year. I was at the beginning of the year. I was doing those, uh, you know, catching up with different people. And yeah. so I caught up with him. I specifically asked him about those back-to-back games. He said it was the greatest week of his career. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because he was on he was on the first power play. Yeah. yeah, he was playing with the twins. And that the other game, I can't remember, it was him. Uh, anyway, they were it was so that was that against the Ducks, or that was a Kings. The Ducks game. Yeah. The Ducks game might have been the night before or the night after. Yeah. And the Ducks, I've never seen this before in my life, had a seven-minute five on three. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <sighs> Three Canucks got into fights and all got kicked out, and the other and the duck didn't get penalized at all. Yeah, that the that Turner never year made was sense to me. Absolutely, just the most insane year. <laughs> like the team was bad, but it wasn't that bad. They were like third in the conference in December fifteenth or something. Yeah, the team cool. went on a giant slide after that Arizona game, but until then they were not that bad. And just the most wild things happened. Yeah, it was crazy. Did crazy. you interact with Torts much during his one year here? Uh, a lot. Um, you know, I, you know, again, it's, if I get along with someone, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, but <laughs> he was great with me. And um, I, I'll still text him. Uh, I'll share this. He, he swears even his texts. <laughs> I texted him after the win against the uh, Maple Leafs in the, in the playing round. And he sent me back a text. Fucking right, Smurf. <laughs> hell yeah we we are pro john tortorella this podcast his yeah. his uh tenure here did not go very well but um in a sport where people are often afraid to show their personalities he is uh always loud and proud and i appreciate yeah. that about him yeah he's, i think he's true to himself anyway right you know yeah, exactly yeah. yeah he's honest yeah yeah but i got i got along with him just fine he's a little 
you know, he's a little more private in terms of what he was doing with the lineups and stuff. Sometimes you coaches will tell you for context and not for public. And like AV was excellent with us. We go to AV's room into his in coach's office whenever we wanted, basically never cared. And um, so you, that's where you get some information, whether they want it public or not, but if something happens and at least you have it for context and Torts was a little more guarded that way, not nearly as guarded as Willie, mind you, but he was more guarded. One uh, theme that came up in when we were soliciting questions was just the degree to which things have changed. And I feel like John Tortorella is an interesting person to look at with regards to that, because he's certainly changed a lot and he, but, but he's also been around a long time and he's been able to see all those changes. I'd be curious from your perspective, like what's the thing that's changed the most since you started hosting the broadcast in the, in the early aughts there. In terms of just uh, with coaches or just overall, like just what- overall covering people within the game, dealing with them, um, you know, as, as somebody in TV. Uh, well, no, it's tough to say. I, I would say like if just on a reporting standpoint, um, like in the early days, you could, I could call Marcus Nazan if we had to do a story and go to his house and do an interview. Mm-hmm. Right. There was not the PR staff wasn't involved like that. You didn't have to go through the team. So I think the access was a little looser, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, they should always have, you should always have to go through proper channels now, which mm-hmm. we do. So the access was a lot different then. Um, and for me, I mean, you got it. When I first started, I was the age of, of you know, uh, a lot of the players have been you know one of the older players. So now it's like these, for me, what's changed is these guys are like the ages on the edge of their dad. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like someone. So it's just a whole different interaction. I'm, when I'm speaking, they're trying to you know, try to you know build a relationship where uh, you know you can you know talk to these guys on the road and you know maybe get information, get some good stories. And it's just a whole different way of dealing with them because I'm so much older than them. They're like, who's this old dude? Like, <laughs> yeah. so that part has changed for me, but it's still possible. Um, yeah, I, I think. I, I'm lucky because I, I think when you travel with the team, there's an inherent trust, right? There's a little more trust there because they see you every day. They see you at the rink every single day. If you say something they didn't like, you're there every day so they can ask you about it or to tell you they didn't like it. Yeah. So I think I've always been lucky that way because I've always been right there. So it hasn't changed totally uh, with that uh, aspect of it. But um yeah. And, and I think also probably the other thing that's changed the most is like social media, right? That's uh, it's a huge driving factor now for news and information. Um, and I think I joined in 2011. Does that sound right? I have no idea. When that does was. sound right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's another, uh, another huge change with how you, in my job, how you get information out there and how you even broadcast information, how you produce stuff. So those, I think that would be probably the biggest the biggest thing and just how easy it is to create content now compared to mm-hmm. when I first started out, I carried a camera for one or two seasons and would have to go to a TV station to feed all my vids, my visuals through uh, satellites. Right. So it'd be a long day. And I, if you, you shoot it, you go back on your computer and you email it, you're done moments after. So that's another, I think a step in the right direction. Anyway, it's, it's just how easy you can produce and turn around content. What is it like seeing some players that you used to cover? I'm talking people like Kevin Bieksa mm-hmm. and I guess even Anson Carter, although he works in the States, as far as I know. What is it like seeing these guys who used to grow up, he used to cover and are now 
kind of getting into your game uh, on the broadcast side of things. Yeah, I mean, they're more analysts, right, than, than hosts. But, I, I mean, I thought, like most people, um, I thought Kevin was great. Um, and not for the reasons I thought he would be great. Like, when he retired, I went to my bosses and said, you guys got to hire this guy, like, yesterday. Yeah. Or TSN does. Just trust me. But I was saying that on – I knew he'd be comfortable. I knew he'd be funny. I knew he'd be sarcastic. I knew the spotlight wouldn't be too big. But I had no idea how good he would be at breaking down plays in yeah. a timely fashion, which is the hardest thing for new analysts to do. Like you've got 40 seconds to break this down, do it and say it, say it coherently and say it with some humor or whatever. And I was pleasantly surprised of how well he was able to handle that uh, because I knew all the other stuff would have been a no brainer. Um, but I think he was like even much better than I than I expected. Yeah, like we all knew there was going to be fun antics between him and Burke if they're ever on the table together. But yeah, because like you just any interview with Bieksa, and you know he is like that. But I think everyone was blown away when he shows his ability to break down a play. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of the, so much of that stuff was new to me, and I've been watching hockey for it seems like twenty years of my life. And it's, and yeah, no, echoing everything you said there, it's been fascinating. I what what is the origin? of because he used to i remember even as a kid and then a young adult always being like why does kevin bxa always harass the host of the broadcast <laughs> what was the history there like was he just a, was he just a jokester or was there like some inciting incident that uh, made him want to wave stuff behind your head while you were talking and- I, I mean I first off that's his personality and he likes to have fun and you know we um when he first came in the league, I'd been around for a couple of years, but you know, spent a, you know, a lot of time together. And he's a little bit of a different cat that way. Like you could be on the road and like players always stick to themselves. And of course that you wouldn't expect anything different. There's only a few places on the road where you might see the media, the coaches and the players in the same spot. And that might be like Nashville at Tootsies or maybe one other spot, but he, we could go into a, into a city and on a night he'd say, uh, I'll, I'll come with you guys for beer. So he'd come with me and John and John. Oh, wow. Break away. So he'd, cause he'd want to have talk about different stuff or have different conversations. So we kind of became, you know, friends that way. Um, and so it was a slightly different relationship uh, than other players. So, and yeah, and he's always trying to make me laugh or knock me over or make me look like an idiot, which, you know, I don't need any help doing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was just, uh, but the, the, the only one uncomfortable one was, after Jean Beliveau passed and I'm sitting there in Montreal trying to speak about it. And the player is going to visit. Um, and here he is doing handstands in his underwear behind me. <laughs> I had no idea what I was talking about, obviously, but I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not the time to be doing this. But oh, man. <laughs> oh. I didn't laugh when I was talking about the late, great Jean Beliveau. He seems very different from uh, your sort of bog standard hockey player or even hockey player turned analyst did you get that sense about him early on or was it something that like it took a while for him to show it no no he got that sense early on i mean he is the same way back then as he is now a little brash right and a little <laughs> cocky and uh but that was his personality his persona and you know i think the way um he broke into the league and i, and I think also he did, this is funny but he also takes a lot of pride in that he was a university graduate right <laughs> or in green now oh, come on but <laughs> um, i think it's i think he's just a you know just a really bright guy sharp guy and uh 
Um, he was like that from the get go. And I'm not saying he came in like he owned the place. No. Um, you could tell there was that, you know, that personality was there the whole time and always could handle himself in an interview um, from the very beginning. Uh, so, yeah, he was like the start. Okay, just on, just on that topic, I, it might be open ended, but we all know the story of how Kevin Bieksa came into the league. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a story about another player uh, in Canucks history who has kind of had a similar way of getting of like getting the call up or getting getting extra minutes that kind of hasn't been told? I'm just curious because like we we hear we hear that story so much. And I'm, yeah, yeah what's, a, what's an underrated story that that deserves to be part of Canucks folklore that maybe people don't know about? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but. Um, Rick Rippon, uh, I don't know if he'd broken his hand or he'd hurt his hand, and uh, but he was still in the lineup, and uh, they were playing the Avalanche, and he's and AV specifically told Rick, "Don't fight, right? Right? Do not fight. Uh, we can't afford you. It wasn't broken, but we can't afford you breaking your hand. It's like whatever. So like first period." he takes an unholy run at someone behind the net. I don't remember who it was, but it was vicious. So right away, uh, I think it was Ian LaPerriere is in his ear, like at the goal line, in his ear, you know, at the hash marks, in his ear at the blue line. And, and finally at center ice, they drop gloves and they fight. And massive brawl and goes off the ice. And, and nobody knew that AV said didn't fight. So I was like, I saw you after. I was like, so I thought you told him not to fight. He goes, eh, that's ripped, I guess. He specifically went against it, but I I really believe he tried not to fight for the first hundred feet of that skate, but enough was enough at some point. It's like, okay, I guess I have to fight here. That's that's a great AV impersonation. Yeah, that was pretty good. I have to admit. Uh, You mentioned Rick Rippon, and we talked about Kevin Bieksa. Tyler Mott just appeared on the broadcast uh one of i mean talk about a bunch of things but one of the things being mental health which obviously um kevin bieksa was was a big advocate for as well i've been noticing like obviously we're going to give the proper amount of time to uh the mitchell miller thing on a on a later date but that's in the news right now uh, there was the momentary stoppage in play with uh, because of, you know, Black Lives La- uh, Matter related sort of advocacy or whatever. I'd be curious from your from where you stand, how much has that changed? Like the willingness to be a bit more vocal about things that fall outside of the world of hockey. I think I mean, I think it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's great. I mean, I think. I think it, it, it is much better though. Um, I'll say this because guys are, you know, especially the Canadians are, are willing to talk about those issues or some guys feel more comfortable in, in expressing themselves in those issues. Um, because you just know that, you know, there's some U S players that probably are, you know, staunch. Well, I mean, we know a couple that are uh, on social media and Rangers, defensemen, but, um, but there's some guys, you know, probably are staunchly pro Trump supporters. But I think there's more and more players that are willing to come out and express themselves and be on the right side of the ledger, m- meaning the left side. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, um, and actually uh, speak, I'm not going to say with a ton of knowledge, but with some heart on the issue. And I think that has changed. Um, yeah. I, you know, I will say that there was a, uh, I did all those pregame interviews um, 
in the bubble and they don't know what we're going to ask, obviously. And it's supposed to be game related, but I had one PR staff. I'm not going to mention the player because I don't want to throw him under the bus, but saying he'd prefer not to speak on, on, you know, the, the stoppage and play because I'm assuming because he was, he didn't agree with it. Sure. Um, there are still going to be, you know, this is a, it's a very white sport. Uh, it's a very hmm. sport that, uh, you know, costs a lot of money. Um, but I will say that, yes, um, it, it has got, it's got a long ways to go, but I don't think there's any question it has gotten better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I can, I can definitely just, even as somebody who only started writing about hockey five years ago, I've actually been pretty surprised at how things have changed. Like with the, the Mitchell Miller thing is a great example because um, I actually thought that the discussion around for, for Twitter, which is never level level headed. I actually thought the discussion around what happened there was, was surprisingly level headed. And I remember writing a piece about uh, Mike Adeza who was hired to be a scout, I guess, probably about five years ago, who had had a, shall we just say, sort of a, a, a Bill Peters-like incident in his past. And um, all I saw in response to it was just vitriol uh, directed at anyone who really suggested that this was even a problem. And obviously that vitriol is still there, but the, uh, the amount of voices that are willing to, to sort of counter it out are much, much greater than they were even five years ago. And so I do, I do find that heartening at least. Yeah. And, and I agree. And I, and I think with the Mitchell Miller thing, like I, I think if, if he had properly apologized and had taken some steps publicly to, you know, gather some knowledge on these, you know, subjects, I think that people are be more than happy to give mm-hmm. him a second chance. Um, I just don't think that it's been done from what I've seen. And then also, you know, for the, the Coyotes, I know a lot of teams apparently didn't have him on their draft board because they were just saying no. Um, but it was another one of those situations was, you know, we're more sorry about being caught than being sorry. Like you got to go ahead and mm-hmm. talk to yeah. And I still think if the kid can figure out a way to like really be sincere in an apology, I mean, he didn't get canceled. He can still play hockey. He can probably still yeah. have a good comeback story. Right? I mean, God, for God's sakes, Mike Danton played in the you know, hockey. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So I think that, you know, the conversation online was was pretty good. And I think for the most part, um, I didn't see – I think a lot – I saw the main defense of him was like, well, he's grade eight and, you know, we've all done dumb things in grade eight. Well, you know, I didn't come close to doing that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> the level of thing that he did was pretty outrageous. I did a lot of dumb things, but nothing like that. And so I think that he's, if he can show, you know, some sort of sincere apology, I think there's still a path back for him because obviously he can play. Also, usually that conversation is like, this was 10 years ago. This was 15 years ago. This was four years ago. Like when, people, when people bring up, oh, he's in grade eight, it's like, yeah, but he's in grade 12 now. Yeah. <laughs> like not, yeah. 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 I'm not buying that one right now. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned heart, uh, when you, when we were talking about the, you know, being able to speak on, on these issues and stuff. And I think that that's an important thing to remember too, is that the, the character thing, it cuts both ways. And this is a a, a player that we're talking about here who obviously displayed, um, very poor character. And I think sometimes people might be surprised how much 
some hockey people, certainly not all of them, um, do take this kind of thing into account and are disgusted by it. I know Brian Burke is one person who, mm-hmm. um, you know, I he's as gruff as they come, but obviously, you know, with uh, the work that he's done with You Can Play and, and other sort of similar initiatives, like not being uh, outwardly racist or homophobic, I think is something that he would consider to be evidence of being a character player. You know what I mean? I totally agree. And I mean, if the reports are accurate that at least a half of the NHL teams took them off the board because of that, shows you that a lot of um, organizations have the same thinking as Berkey, which is absolutely correct. Now, my only thing and my only question is, what if this kid was a top five pick? Yeah. 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 Right? Like, maybe then they would have tried to massage his apology better if he was not really sincere. I'm sure teams would have gotten out in front of it or it would have been a much bigger story. Let's be honest. I'd never heard of the story before it came out. Mm-hmm. If a kid was supposed to be top five in the draft, um, then I think, I think probably it'd be a slightly different conversation, right? Because if you're seen as a, an organizational changer, uh, I think that some sins are probably easier forgiven, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's entirely fair. Um, somebody else I wanted to ask you about who has surprised me by being very vocal on these kinds of things is uh damian cox <laughs> um <laughs> i tweeted something out recently where i said that the thing that i love about damian cox is that i feel like every time he opens his mouth on twitter it's these it's these two poles that don't connect at all in my head where it's either like you know mad at the leafs for being too nerdy or you know mad at donald trump <laughs> or yeah. something no. i was just curious i don't know how much you uh interact with with demo but uh, his, has he always been that vocal or is that a new thing no he's i mean it's a little more vocal now I, i've worked with him um actually during 2011 i think he was my analyst in chicago for sure he was uh he was my analyst uh in uh, for post games and stuff like that um and he's always been one of those when he was writing was you know the pen is mightier than the sword. He could cut you down. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, but you're totally right. Like if there's a, I have a friend uh, here and I'll know as soon as I'll get a text, I'll see a text and it'll be like just demo with the fire emoji. So I know he's going off on something. <laughs> off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, he's a, Interesting character, but you can just, I mean, you can tell he hates Dubas. Right. So uh, he's, and he'll just keep grinding away on certain subjects because it does get a rise out of people, but he grinds at Donald Trump just as hard or even harder. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I, I interacted a lot more with him like a decade ago. He was more honest with us. Um, I think he texted me last year see if I was going to be in Toronto to play golf or something. Uh, but uh, I don't have much interaction with him anymore, but he came from the old school of writing where, you know, he could, he could really cut you down. <laughs> now he's doing it in just 140 characters. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I, I honestly, I, that's a combo I would like to see more often, like very old school hockey guy, but, uh, but with a bit more of a sort of progressive slant on uh, social and political issues. I like well, that. You see Cam Cole recently, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of the same way, um, you know, old school hockey guy that has just had enough. There's a Kevin DuPont in uh, Boston, uh, mm. old school hockey writer. Uh, so there are some that uh, 
that seem to be getting the same way as Damien. <laughs> Although Cole, Cole's not nearly as crass as Damien. No, no, certainly not. It, it's hard to be as crass as Tim, yeah. I think. So, so Dan, so in the lead up to, uh, to, to me knowing that we were going to interview you, I kept like referring to this as meeting Big Bird for me. Because, <laughs> because, I love that. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> uh, because growing up, uh, like every evening there'd be a Canucks game. This is like six, seven years straight. I would just be playing Lego in front of my TV and just hearing you do the pregame. And so it's like very like in my head growing up is your voice. Um, but I'm the question I'm asking is uh, you, when uh, just in your broadcast career, who was so exciting for you to meet finally um, that you had idolized growing up or um, just, yeah. What, who are some of the most exciting people you got to meet that you were so excited about in broadcast? Uh, yeah. Just in your career in broadcasting. Well, it actually happened super early on. Um, it, like sports page was a massive institution yeah. out yeah. here when I was growing up. And then I went to University of Ottawa and it was sports line out there. And I came back. So it was like watching Carson, Heb, Taylor, um, like Shorty a little bit, but it was a little bit prior to Shorty coming on. And so I got hired. Uh, sorry, I did my practicum out of BCIT at sports page. And so right away, I got tossed in there with Don. Uh, Randorf was there only for about six months when I was doing my, when I first got hired there part-time. But it was Don and then Barry McDonald, uh, who came over yeah. from CBC. So, um, like, meeting Don, because at that point, too, I'm 25. I'm in, I'm my ultimate fandom still at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a big one uh, for me. Uh, Bob Cole was fun to meet. You know, because those are the games you listen yeah, to on Saturday nights. Um, and I know he gets a lot of frack, flack, but meeting Ron McLean was great because, again, that was my childhood every Saturday yeah. night, right? Yeah. He was the host. Um, and so that was a good one, good one for me. And then just, you know, other guys around the league. Um, uh, Eddie Olchuk, to this day, I love talking to Eddie because he was a player and a coach and a broadcaster. So, I mean, you get to meet a lot of very cool people. Oh, and the other ones I'll say, and this is – since I started, but uh, Wilbon and Kornheiser. We went to a PTI show. I think it was myself, Luongo, the twins, TC Carling, and Ben Brown. So talked to Tony Reale and Wilbon and Kornheiser. And I love that show. I love it. And so meeting those guys was a blast. Okay, okay. I got, I got to ask, based off that list of guys you just mentioned, when I think about 2011 era, like, Sedin's occupy one part, like one type of personality. Longo occupies another. What are what are those three like when they're around each other? Like, <laughs> I just I just don't I kind of don't under, like I could yeah, not imagine. You're right. That conversation. That is like. a conflict there. Yeah, I mean, they're both uh, the, the three of them. I'll, I'll say they're both. I'm just combining the twins. <laughs> um, uh, quiet, right? Not uh, super loud. I mean, both have uh, both like the twins and Lou have great dry sense of humors that you would never expect. So yep. that is similar that way. I mean, I guess Luongo, you know, now from Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, you know, I, th I think probably they're more similar than you would think uh, in terms of the way that in life, just family guys didn't do a ton on the road, um, you know, still like to go with teammates, have dinner and then head back and do their own thing. So I think they're probably far more similar than people might realize. So what are the Sedin's burner accounts then? <laughs> I don't think they have burner accounts, but uh, they are, you know, they actually can be quite uh, funny. Um, 
and I, I'm not, I can't tell any stories here because I don't want them, but there's been, Absolutely. Where, you know, where uh, they've made fun of a situation where I couldn't believe they went down that road, but uh, you know. So. I believe it. They're underrated funny. The one, the one I'll always remember is after the, or it was just leading up to the heritage classic the infamous heritage classic yeah. game. And of oh, course, yes. classic, classic Sedians having a great moment kind of get upstaged by something else that's more pressing or more loud happening um, at the same time. But just before the game, I think it was Henrik got asked by someone about the 19, what, whatever it was, the 1915 Stanley cup final that this was <laughs> supposed to be kind of uh rehashing or whatever. And uh they asked him about it or whatever. And Henrik just goes like, Oh yeah, I remember that. That, that was great times or something. <laughs> and I'm not doing it justice, but I was like, yeah, that's the perfect answer to that question. Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're like everything you've heard, super humans, um, but do have a good sense of humor. Uh, no question. And the Longo same way. Um, you know, the Longo loved to play poker in his room a lot on the road. So uh, I, he was pretty quiet too, right? I mean, these are guys that, you know, were part of the team and were leadership group, but, um, you know, they were a little bit older than some of their teammates right when they're in their, their primes there. Mm-hmm. And so they were pretty, pretty quiet. Vias, Elliot, do you guys have anything you want to get to before I uh, take a look at our Twitter questions? I don't think so, because the next question that I have is very much a Twitter question. Yeah, yeah all, sure. all basically all the ones I would ask are just the, qu- the questions uh, that were posed on Twitter. Okay, well, the can one... my friend Christina pet your dog? Can my friend Nikki pet your dog? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my friend Christina's boyfriend Steven pet your dog. Uh, <laughs> we should bring Peach out for a meet and greet. There you go. So, given that Peach is a pads, decided that pads was not actually the right path for her. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that she's learned from pads that is extremely annoying to you? Absolutely not. She didn't learn anything. Okay, <laughs> right now, because I've they, heard some people like who have Pads dogs or like also. Can you give us context? Because I actually don't know. So Pads is like a assistant, like dog assistant. Yeah, like service dog. Yeah, okay. a service dog. So yeah. what I've heard is that some service dogs who decide that you know dog university is not for them, they learn how to do things, but they don't learn the obedience. Yeah. Well, things too, right? They're um, like, she was trained a bit. I don't know what she was going to be trained for. Right. Um, But I mean, she's so meant to be a pet. They say she failed because of allergies and we have to give her uh, medicine. And so obviously if she was a service dog, you couldn't have, the person can't take care of the dog. The dog's taking care of the person basically. Right. So that's why she failed. But I mean, she, she couldn't have done anything. She is like, we call her like a Instagram influencer, right? She just never had a job, uh, <laughs> um, but she is, but some of the things early on, like she didn't like to get on the bed because they teach service dogs not to jump on the bed. Right. Now, now she'll sleep half the night in between us, right? Like she's lost and whatever she, whatever minimal training she had. <laughs> she lost. Okay. That's I've heard some people who have like pads, dropouts or whatever you want to phrase it as, where it's like, oh, this dog is incredibly smart because people trained her to like help people, but yeah. they didn't pick up on the whole obedience thing. So they'll <laughs> just do whatever they want, yeah. but they know how no. to be a human. 
Uh, she, she's actually the only, the only thing that she does, which is terrible is she's like any other golden retriever. She's driven by food. That's mm. all she cares about. So, uh, she's eaten, you know, a half a block of butter of, <laughs> of she, one time I came back like from Cobbs with a loaf of cinnamon bread or something. I turned, I looked back, the thing was gone. But like, even like, and it, and it does, you can't discipline her uh, because she's like, what are you going to do? Like I smack my snout is worth it. I'll do it again. And so like a month ago I made meatballs and of course I had to go do something. I put them up on the counter to cool. And she got like eight of the 15 <laughs> <laughs> and no remorse, no remorse, but she's, she's great. Otherwise, like she listens, there's good recall. Um, I just don't think she's super bright. Fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, who, who among us has not seen meatballs and yeah. just been like, those are going in my face right now. I'm sure if you have, you know, Cheech over for dinner, it's more or less the same thing. <laughs> yeah, he'll get nine. <laughs> yeah. No, no utensils, just like peach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so JMO wants to know what city has the best road food. Uh, well, for different things like um, Nashville, like a barbecue, like if you're in the mood for barbecue, uh, Nashville's great. So is St. Louis for barbecue. Um, like I'm going to tend to say that if you're like Chicago in terms of whatever you're looking for is unbelievable, right? You can find anything you want. Uh, St. Louis has a really good little Italy as well. Um <clears throat> San Jose has got some unreal Mexican places like Authentic, where we ate uh, grasshoppers a couple times. Ooh, nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can, in the big city, you can find whatever you want. But I, I think the stuff we like to do is when you go to a place that has barbecue or known for it, and you go try out some different stuff uh, that way. So, yeah, I'd say like New York's obviously great. Um, sure. Yeah, as you would expect. Like, just, you go to the big cities and you, you can find some great food and, um, a good time was like when Baumgartner was a player, he loved the show. Uh, not only driver and dining drivers and dives, but <laughs> yes, both watch the food network. So we would actually go find some of these places that we saw. Um, cause he loved to go to places like that. So when I take a break from shorty and Cheech, I can go with Baumgartner and we'd find some of these, these fun little, uh, restaurants to have what we saw. On TV. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I just, whenever I think about, uh, Guy Fieri. I just think about how I went to when we went to Disney World last year and ate in his like fried chicken restaurant or whatever. And there's just an entire wall that just says flavor. Um, <laughs> just what a gift that man is. But, um, um, right. well, th- we met. Um, I was on a golf trip in Ireland, uh, and so we we're in Dublin, somewhere in Dublin, late. Way too many whiskeys and beers and we see uh body body flay as <laughs> myself and sean bronger we accosted him and drunk and he did not <laughs> want to meet us like he did not we forced him over the table to take pictures and he wanted to be anywhere but beside us but i still have that picture i'll i'll, I'll post it for you one time Please. bobby flay just <laughs> terrified that i pulled him over the table like, that's amazing <laughs> you mentioned Sean Pronger. I almost forgot you co-wrote his book. How did that end up happening? Uh, I've known him for so long. Um, <clears throat> I went to university in Ottawa. Two of my roommates in the university were from Dryden. He's from Dryden. I'd go back in the summers to see university friends, became friends with him. And of course, and Chris was in, they're both in the business, hockey business. Um, 
So that book came about uh, during the 2010 Olympics. Sean and his family were staying at our house. Chris was playing and I, I came back from covering the curling. It was late. We were late in the night drinking. He was telling the story. I was like, I've heard you tell this story so many times I could write it. And he's like, well, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Nice. One of my favorite, uh, definitely one of my favorite like hobby horses within hockey is less successful brothers or yeah. children. Um, yeah. How does he like, how does he feel about being the less successful pronger brother? Yeah, he loves it. I mean, he's just, he's always like, how could I be mad at that? You know, the guy's the, was one of the best of all time. Um, yeah. And he has such a great uh, sense of humor, self-deprecating that, you know, there was never, never any issue uh, with that, no jealousy at all. Um, so he he handles it just fine. Now we still call Chris an idiot uh, a lot of the time for certain things. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what you do to your your brother or Fair enough, friend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no no issues there whatsoever. I think even Mark Crawford started a line one night that was Sean, Yarko Rutu, and Steve Korea, and that's they amazing. Call, probably the other the other <laughs> brother line. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that so much. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember that. The other brother line. Yeah. Yeah, we always we always had these jokes of like, uh, yeah, lesser Canucks always got the lesser brothers, Steve Korea, <laughs> Sean Pronger, Fedor Fedorov, Daniel Sedin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, by far the two most common themes that come up that came up when we solicited questions were either food or uh somewhat ironically a, a lot of people just want to know like about your workout routine <laughs> uh that's not i mean if you see me i'm skinny you just gotta buy tight shirts that's the <laughs> that is the key if you're skinny yeah. buy yeah. a tight shirt no but my rule has always been because again i've told you traveling with uh, those two muppets uh my rule has always been because the nhl if you're on that charter it's the never hungry league and when we sit on the plane at 11 at night, we haven't just burned 2,500 calories skating, right? Yeah. We're not the players. Yeah. So my rule has always been, um, if you're going to consume calories, bad calories, I'm taking booze over food and uh, I'm going to exercise just because you really get into a bad spot uh, being on the road 120 days a year. And so that's always kind of been my rule. You if you're going to pick your calories, you pick one way to eat them or take them in and, uh, and exercise. So I've always kind of made that a priority because, you know, you could get, you can go sideways, especially at my age. And, uh, the other one is, and, uh, I, I thank the broadcast for, I imagine being the influence behind this. A bunch of people want to know about skincare. <laughs> well, I'm going to disappoint a lot of people. It's hand soap. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's rock. Yeah, dude. Dude's rock. <laughs> yeah. If I'm on the road, like I wash my hair with the hand soap. Yeah. Yes. What else are you yeah. going to do? Exactly. I don't know. I, I got to get you the three in one. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I don't need any of that. So it's always just hand soap for my face and body and sometimes my hair. So <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer. Awesome. Uh, no, but, just figure out how many things you can have in one and just maximize that number. See, I no, see, I think this is great because that, clearly everyone is watching you on TV and they go, man, Dan looks really good. He must do something with his skin. And I just, I like this because it proves that this is all voodoo. It's all made up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all luck of the draw. Exactly. Well, sometimes the, the bosses will call me and say, why didn't you wear makeup? And I'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot. But 
So sometimes <laughs> I must not look that good or really red or something. But anyway. <laughs> And then the other thing that comes up a lot, obviously, we've talked a lot about um, about Cheech because how could you not? He's a cult hero in this market. But one person asking what his, what if you have a favorite uh, ad read ad lib or even if we want to broaden it a little bit, just a favorite Cheech moment from the broadcast that you can uh, that comes to mind. Um, well, well, the one thing that makes me angry is that after I make a read on air, like, especially if I make a mistake, like my mic is cut and those two jerks make fun of me and I have no <laughs> way to respond. So I always hate that. And they're always giggling at my grammar because Cheech was a English grad and Shorty's mom was a teacher. And so like, they're always on me, like fewer than or less than I'm like, come on, like, stop <laughs> that kind of stuff which I think you can stay fewer or less than for anything. Now it's been accepted. So that's the kind of stuff that bothers me. Um, the, the greatest Cheech story was um, <laughs> Shorthouse and him had, I don't know who, what the connection was, but someone went up in the booth to say hi. And Shorty made, or Cheech made the, you know, the all fatal mistake of asking this lady that, you know, when, when the birth was happening. Oh no. And, um, they, the response, response came, well, I'm not pregnant. And Cheech's response to that was, well, that's a really bad shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Cheech. So, yeah. If you're going to, you know, you know what? If you make a mistake like that, you might as well own it. <laughs> double yeah. down. You know, oh my double God. Down that. We, yeah, we Honestly, started... saying that's a really bad shirt is probably the best possible recovery from that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at least you blamed the yes. shirt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's true but you know those guys have i mean short house is very good but i remember the one time we spent the whole day practicing athanasiu uh, yeah. and uh you know athens athanasiu athanasiu too and then the first time we cut the puck in the game short house is from and you know shorty calling todd warner i think it was volpatti was taking a shot and it was todd warner uh, another 15 and Warner texted Shorty. He's like, hey, my kids now, they know that I actually played because we're watching the game. So we make a lot of mistakes and we let each other have it for them. Like, it, 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 like if I do something dumb or say something dumb, I can feel my phone buzzing in my pocket. Like the text is instant of them laughing at me. So, yeah, well, that's how you know you have good friends. Like, I remember... Um if you remember like what feels like a hundred years ago now, but when um, Brendan Leipzig had all those, you know, group DM uh, screenshots link or, uh, or a leak or whatever. And uh, correctly, a lot of people and like the first thing they pointed out is like, what kind of friends does this guy have? Like there's people misspelling things. And then the name (laughs) of the chat doesn't change to what the misspelling is. Like obviously if you've, if you've got good, uh, if you've got good friends, they're going to roast you over your minor mistake that you made. Yeah. Especially if it was on national TV. Like yeah. I, I, you know, all the people that I think about all the people that I know who have been on the broadcast, particularly, you know, Drance, uh, Ryan, every one of those, even just them appearing on the show in a suit and making a funny face. It's like, well, there's a meme now. Like, yeah. yeah, like Dimitri Filipovic wearing this fucking, you know, turtleneck, like a fucking Bond villain. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always tell whoever's coming on, like, just accept the fact that someone's going to screen grab a portion of this and make fun of us. Yeah. yeah. Accept it. 
you know, it's, that's what you should look forward to looking for on Twitter after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forward. exactly. It's the whole point of being on the show is like people are going to make fun of you. Yeah, if you get sure. memed, that's how you know you, you're you, doing it that's right. That's how you know you made it. Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, and again, we give a lot of ammunition usually. So yeah. the, I have one last thing uh, I wanted to get to, but before I do that, I'm just going to allow Vyas and Elliot, is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we, before we close out here? Are you going to be asking George's question? Uh, oh, what? Why? Why? Dan why do you hate? Why do you hate tomato sandwiches? I, I, I have to speak on that. <laughs> I just hate Georgia. tomatoes, and it's the weirdest thing because if you give me fresh salsa, I like it. I like with the jalapenos and the onions. But like, um, I think the writer Chris Jones, who was with Esquire, wrote a book. Like, you put a tomato on a sandwich is like taking a dump on a sandwich. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You I'm, sound I'm exactly like my fiance. Yeah, like, and, then, and it's like, I just, I can't have a giant, giant chunk of tomato, like tomato sauce on pasta, fine, right? Salsa, fine. A big chunk of tomato, no chance. Yeah, I don't oh, like this. I'm the same way. Yeah. This, this pains me to hear. <laughs> I will eat, like, the tomatoes that we grow on our balcony, like, I will eat them like they're berries, like. That's weird, man. No, man, they're so Shorty, good. Shorty tried to get me to eat, like, a piece, like a, I don't know, what, a big, a big chunk of tomato on the plane. He was offering me 50 or 75 and he was filming it. And I, I got like, I got it partially into my mouth. And I'm like, I don't have to do this. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to ask, what's the best new food at Rogers arena? You know, I don't get to eat there much. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm downstairs and I, and that's another, like, I don't get up there, but um, I mean, I got to say Rogers arena compared to a lot of rings on the league is great. Constantly changing stuff, constantly adding stuff, constantly upgrading. That doesn't um, surprise me at all. Yeah, but I, um, I haven't, uh, I haven't tested a lot of the food uh, at the rinks. I remember having like walleye strips in Minnesota one time, and short uh, Cheech always gets the mini donuts in Minnesota. But at, at Rogers Arena, I like I used to go to Saturday night games like ten years ago. A buddy and I had like half seasons, and we'd get like a like a kind of a chicken teriyaki bowl but i can't remember the last time i actually ate something from the concourse does dan's meal get a cut from steamers <laughs> i was gonna ask about that <laughs> i just remember that now and i was like i hope he gets a cut i hope so <laughs> yeah that's uh when i have be... sedinatronics tickets that's like my absolute favorite thing to get what the steamers hot dogs yeah yeah fair enough you got to do the costco route man <laughs> I, this is what I usually do, but I mean, if I'm going to eat in the arena. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the one other thing that came up a couple of times, uh, got a couple of music questions because as, as real Murph heads know, uh, you're a big metal fan. Um, hmm. So I'm going to just lump all of those together and just ask music Rex, what are you listening to right now? What should I, what should I close the show out with? <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed Dayseeker. All right. That's Matt. a good name. Yeah. Dayseeker is a very solid. Uh, I've listened to a lot of them uh, recently. Um, and so I think that's a 2019 album. And then I've listened to a lot of uh, Amity Affliction. Um, what else? I like a lot of Swedish metal bands, but my, my, like, my musical tastes vary. I like everything. It just happens that usually when I listen to music, I'm driving uh, or at the gym. So it's got to be a little harder and faster pace. Yep. So if I'm going to give a rec, I'm going to say Dayseeker. Fair Look enough. Yeah. All right. 
I like it. Yeah. Well, Dan, uh, I thank you for joining us. I know um, as somebody who's been watching Canucks games for literally as long as I can remember, you are just just as much a part of those stories as any of the players. And so it's Mm -hmm. been a lot of fun to uh, have you on and uh, have you share your time with us and answer some of our stupid questions. So thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much. much, Awesome. Well, Elliot Vias and uh, Jackson, thanks for having me anytime we can do it again. Absolutely. We'll have to have you on again in uh, maybe another 52 episodes. (laughs) I like to be those milestone episodes like 52. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's one hey, of the most the important year. ones, you know. To the head, and it's into the zone deep. But Brett Clark was back there, and he was better on the boards. It goes right on, and Colorado will get the puck out. So it gets rough early in the game. You haven't hit two minutes yet, and the scrap is going to ensue here at the Vancouver Blue Line. Pretty good right hands being thrown by Lapierre. Colorado, now he's taking some. Well, there is tension, Drew, in this hockey game tonight, and this is a pretty good start. And exactly what Rick Rippon was supposed to do coming up from the Manitoba Moose, playing in the Western Hockey League with the Regina Pats. He is a tough customer, added a nice physical dimension there, and... Things are starting to roll early. Their first game, and that's exactly what Vancouver wanted. The coach was talking about this morning, and here's what happened on the hit by Rippon. Good pot by Rippon on Clark, and he's just going to chase after the puck. And Ian LaPerriere, who leads the avalanche in fighting major, says, you know, kid, if you're going to do that, we're going to have to do this. And they went at it, and this was a nice little tilt to start the game off. Couldn't keep you safe, it's just I won't be paid.